This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score Series 3, Episode 3. I'm Chris Gold, joining me Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say, his birth was the moment that Frank Reichard flobbed into Rudy Voller's hair and over the following months he slowly grew arms and legs, crawled out of the Stadio della Alpi Turin and over the following years established himself as the producer of one of the nation's most loved nostalgic football podcasts. Others claim he's Jerry Francis's hairdresser. It's Michele Mardoni. <laughs> Hello. That's my favourite one. Have you run out? Yeah. <laughs> it's getting a bit surreal. I was in prep earlier. Just... <laughs> I was digging deep. Shall we do the correspondence? Yes. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Right. Stephen's been on. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about our live shows in London, the fact that Steve Stone had turned up unannounced and didn't reveal himself to the audience. Well, Steve was there, and he said he was at the first show, and ex-Wimbledon midfielder Stuart Castledean was there. Oh, my word. He was a really How did I nice... not recognise him? <laughs> in full kit. No, he didn't say that. He said he was a really nice bloke. Which is astonishing, it... considering his fame. <laughs> Although as an Everton fan, I didn't enjoy him going on to YouTube to show me his first Premier League goal in Wimbledon's win at Goodison. Amazing. Amazing that he did that. Um, I'm genuinely delighted that I shouldn't have been disparaging about Stuart Castledean. That's quite exciting. I find it astonishing that 90s footballers came to the show. Like, yeah. that's it's kind of great, but it kind of puts you on your toes about what you say about people. Because <laughs> you're quite open. Yeah. Do you know what we need to do? Then? I'd hate to find out that Joey Beecham had come <laughs> after the roasting we gave him. What, in central London with that commute? <laughs> yeah. um, we'll have to do that in Manchester, that live show, to have a, a 90s footballer amnesty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ha- are you a 90s footballer? Right, yeah. check out their creds and then ask them to leave. <laughs> I, I think there was a show about, like, in 20 years, someone did, like, a show that took the piss, stroke, celebrated panel shows. It'd be the last place I'd want to go to. <laughs> Is that Nick Hancock in the audience? <laughs> so last week, we started... Uh, well, we suggested that we might have a new feature here called what was it? Do do I remember that? Did uh, I remember this right? It should be called. I mean, it's very apt that we can't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, to be honest, our whole show's based on a mispronunciation. Let's draw right, draw a line under it. Right. It's now called "Do I Remember This Right?" Do I remember this right? 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 Right, Andrew Goldman. I've been trawling the internet for something I've remembered from the back of my mind in 1991, but with no joy. That is exactly what we're looking for, Andrew. It's making me think I dreamt the whole thing. 
On the 1st of February 1991, Spurs played out a 0-0 draw with Leeds in Division 1. Later that month, while watching Surprise Surprise with my mum and dad, Silla Black gave a boy an opportunity to meet his heroes at the lane. Yeah. Not only did he meet them, he did the tactics pre-match. <laughs> oh, come on! Oh. Brackets, with the help of Terry Venables. It showed him telling the team to get the ball out wide and put crosses in followed by match highlights of his tactics being put to use. Fortunately for me, as a Leeds fan, John Lukic kept them at bay. Surely I haven't made this up. I remember being very jealous at the time, but also smug that the boys' <laughs> tactics didn't get the goal he badly prayed. Andrew Goldman, quite smug. Brilliant. I love that. Of who course, remembers that? Well, that's a great question, who remembers that? It feels Well, genuine. is that surprise or surprise? Is that not Jim will fix it? Maybe that's like, why he can't find surprise, surprise would have been they... Take him to the Tottenham dressing room, then he like meets a cousin he hasn't seen for ages. <laughs> Find Terry Venable's yeah. long lost brother and bring him to the team talk. Yeah. I know you've never met your dad, Timmy, but <laughs> here's Terry. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a good feature. I also love that uh, Andrew Goldman took a dislike to this boy because when I was a kid, they'd have other kids on like, you know, game shows like Run the Risk or whatever. Yeah. And, I'd never, I'd never say, I'd always want the kid to fail, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I remember watching Funhouse, and I, yeah. would, I would be livid when they were crap. When they would do the go-karts at the end, I'd be like, oh, for God's sake, I could drive better than that. Yeah, well, it's just pure jealousy. But yeah. you wanted them to fail. Yeah, because I, I wanted to be there. Yeah. So it's like, if you haven't been picked for the World Cup, not that I'd applied, you wouldn't want England to then go on and win, would you? I think so what, No matter what Matt had claimed. So when you're, when you're watching that kid on Surprise, Surprise, him to get the ball out wide, you're like, no, put it through the middle. No. No, I'd, I'd be going. I really hope Leeds do them here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let us know if you remember that. Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember this right? Do I remember, do I remember, this, remember, this, remember right? this right? Right, right, right. Um, we've had this amazing email from Chris West. Now, we all know and love Gary Mabbott's tribulations with a Dulux dog, but did you know he's done public appearances with other co-stars? Now, what? I want you to picture the scenes. It's a corporate five-a-side. It's the year 2000. It's slightly out of our remit, but we'll go with it. You've won the five-a-side. Gary Mabbott's about to give you the trophy, but he's, he's got company. Who, yeah. who He's up there on the pedestal. Who's with him? Milky Bar Kid. Tony Hadley from Spandau Ballet. Oh, yes. <laughs> However, there's also a third wheel advertised. Have a guess. Why do you need Famous a third wheel? You've booked those two. Oh, I mean, so you've got yeah. Gary Mabbott, Tony Hadley from Spandau Ballet. Where are you going for your third wheel? Jermaine Greer <laughs> close <laughs> Tessa Sanderson <laughs> bad news uh, very much in the manner of a Q&A at the Linton Travel Tavern Tessa Sanderson had to pull out at the last oh. minute so Hadley and Mabbott were left given the amazing. awards at the five-a-side that's an amazing lineup for a five-a-side yeah. tournament yeah um, well for anything really do you want it so it'd, be, about- it'd be a good lineup for Mock the Week tell me you wouldn't watch that though <laughs> Absolutely. I'd keep up my Sky Plus box for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we've had I, the- thought, I thought Mabba, he was good. His scenes were good, but he's a natural actor. But his, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't that good on the desks. He, he didn't chip in enough for my yeah. sake. His blood sugar really started failing towards the end. <laughs> yeah. Not many people realise it's actually a much longer record than comes across on TV. I don't think Gary allowed for that. <laughs> but now, the moment we've been waiting to series four. We've got our hands on the second book in the Steve Barnes trilogy. If you haven't listened to the first one, go back, do it now. Welcome back. Of all the episodes we've done, I'd say this one is what people talk to me about the most. Yeah, it was our best episode in series one. It wasn't in series two, and I felt the series suffered. (laughs) We've got the third book. That will be in series four. We can promise that now. For now, I'd say just as good, if not better, than the first book. Here is Ivo Graham discussing... Steve Bruce's sweeper. Two and a half hours to kick off. It all starts to get a bit serious now. Just time to sort out tickets for family and friends. Predict a few scores in the player's sweep. That's worth 70-odd quid to the winner. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? For his second appearance, it's comedian and friend of the show, Ivo Graham. Hello everybody, thank you for having me. Pleasure to have you here, resident Steve Bruce expert. Oh. There's comedians that actually uh, experience the 90s absolutely spitting feathers at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do know about 90s football, and I feel I've had to make that point already tonight, uh, pre-recording, when Josh has accused me of not knowing Paul Dickov, Mark Poom, and most insultingly, Louis Boa Morte. <laughs> 
all three of which had careers that extended long into, and I knew about them in the 90s as well but played long into the noughties <laughs> okay who's, so. who's Steve Bruce though what, what <laughs> So what we have here, if you haven't listened to the first episode uh, from series one, in which we went through uh, Striker, Steve Bruce's first detective novel, I would implore you to listen to that now. This is part two. Hopefully you'll enjoy it if you didn't listen to the first one, but you know, in the world of podcasting and snackable content, you can go back and enjoy it, guys. Yeah, Michael? Yeah. Should we not do a little flashback like they do in the set, a new series of like Game of Thrones? They go, quickly, here's what happened last time. So as I recall, Steve Barnes, he's in charge of Leddesford Town. A player dies. There's Eddie Carberry seems to be out to get him. Uh, uh, but it's not Eddie Carberry. There's loads and loads of things that go on over 200 pages. Then it is Eddie Carberry. <laughs> yes. The yeah. only place you're wrong there is it's 130 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Steve Bruce has written three awful detective novels. Yeah. And he wrote them all in very quick succession as well, yes. which is not to be sniffed at. In the late 90s. Prolific. Uh, yes. And we reviewed the first one. And yeah, not, not to overhype uh, my first appearance on this podcast, but someone I went to school with and hadn't seen for eight years wrote to me on Facebook to say that he hadn't really enjoyed any of the stand-up clips that appeared on me on YouTube, <laughs> but he had begrudgingly enjoyed the Steve Bruce episode. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so um, before we start, any questions? Me and Ivo have read this, as like with last time. We're now going to tell you two about it. You haven't read it? No. Yeah, no. You've got no I knowledge of it? No idea. Test you, and we've and, uh, uh, Chris, you've done a bit already, but on what you remember being the defining features yeah. of uh, Steve Bruce's uh, striker. The, the characters, the narrative, and yeah, specifically the, the storytelling techniques so Bruce the writer seems to obsess over small inconsequential details I think it's that fair to say that is back good <laughs> so the first book more have... small more inconsequential <laughs> more detail any other tropes uh, well obviously his uh, verging on sexual obsession with his car his Jaguar his XJ8 yeah it's back. It's back. It's of absolutely back. back. Of course and it's back. If he has got a contract with them, he's still got the contract with them. Because yeah. And it's even expanded in this one to other characters in the story admiring it as well. <laughs> it's like someone said, Steve, um, you need to validate that it's not just you that finds the XJ to great cast. So if you could get a couple of other people saying some quite complimentary things, that would be ideal. Also, the main character, Steve Barnes, is loosely based on Steve Bruce in that he is... Exactly the same, with one key difference. Steve Barnes won the Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, isn't he quite like he's got a chip on his shoulder about his education? Isn't that a thing? That in the is first one? strongly in the second oh, one as well. And, and, and I remember a, a questionable attitude to uh, a woman's place in the home. Yeah, and I'd say that those waters are muddied even more here than, yeah. than in the first one. You've got a few key female interactions. Do you know what? We did the first one, what, 18 months ago? Maybe a year ago. Mm, Pre-Me Too. Yeah, pre-Me Too. And this is even more uncomfortable in a Me Too world. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so shall we start? Do you want to hear about the the cover? Oh, yes, The please. cover is far more interesting. The first one was just a footballer stabbed. We um, had the wrong aspect ratio, so the player that was lying dead on the pitch appears to be really tiny. Yeah. Like, oh no, yeah. the player no, I on the pitch is massive. I think the player was a giant. They stabbed a giant. <laughs> That's a yeah. giant dead player in the pitch. And <laughs> also, in the, in the book, he dies in the dressing room, not the pitch. Yeah. So, like, it's well, so that one, event that one is too unrelated. I'd say he swung too far the other way with this artwork <laughs> because um, the whole book is about unravelling a plot and all of the key features of the plot are on the cover yeah. that really give away the journey that is only unravelled after 110 pages like one of those trailer spoilers that you see exactly. there's too the much in meets, it I'm yeah. a big fan of the minimal you know you, you've got to watch Josh on tour it's a picture of Josh just stood against a wall it's not a picture of Josh holding a tub of jam a, a teapot <laughs> it, he's in a tent and yet this why to, don't we talk save no why don't we save it and we'll read it out after you know what the story is okay so that we don't okay. blow it for everyone. Okay. okay. Chapter one, page one. I'll just read the intro. It's worth reading the intro. Six o'clock. New sentence. <laughs> Thursday. New sentence and paragraph. <laughs> December. New sentence and paragraph. Soon to be Christmas. New sentence. Crunch time in soccer. New sentence and paragraph. <laughs> well, right, early on, by the way... Um, Steve Bruce always tries to get his eye back in with the difference between the space and the return. <laughs> well, my first question. 
uh, <laughs> Steve Bruce, who was an English central defending stalwart, yeah. has controversially chosen the word soccer uh, over throughout the book I've, I've circled it with the word soccer throughout so, the book do you think he has ambitions of a, a wider international market when it came 100%. to this book 100% really I was thinking that what do you think Ivo did you pick up on it I think it's very odd but then it's sort of in keeping with how he's he describes lots of other worlds which is that is as if he's just googled them and directly just copy and pasted that's key details about that particular industry from Google. Because he, he also refers to the division they're in as the Nationwide League First Division. Yeah, I've been... Which no one has ever... He also yeah. refers to it as the Carling Premiership at one point. He specifically observes the correct terminology too much. <laughs> I, I don't want to pick at this thread too early, but because I want to believe that Steve Bruce wrote, I know wrote these it. books. I believe he's written it. I don't think an American ghostwriter is going to tread so carefully around a semi-fictionalised world of northern place names. Just the thought, the thought of this book hitting hitting home in Los Angeles in New York, even with the original place names, let alone with a bunch of uh, Yankee soccer lovers saying, so is Lettersford Huddersfield? Or, uh... where's, where's Jonathan Franson been for the last three months? Oh, he's... he's... <laughs> He's ghostwriting all for Steve Bruce. <laughs> so, it starts. Well, do, you, do you want to set us off, Ivo? Yeah, so it's um, it's Christmas. Uh, it's uh, it's a busy time of year. The, the background narrative of having to go Christmas shopping with his wife for his kids, it's never far from his mind. Yeah. No matter how frenetic an action scrape he gets drawn into, he still he, he needs to get to the shops before closing time. <laughs> There's fixture congestion. They're on, on the promotion trail but things are far from secure. He's got the trust of his chairman. He's uh, cheated death once already this calendar year, but uh, there's still a lot of pressure. And then, so that's the situation. Okay. So straight off, first chapter, he walks down the tunnel, it's night time. He goes out and uh, onto the pitch, because he's at, at the ground, and uh, he finds the groundsman, old Sam. They have a chat, yeah? <laughs> Steve Barnes says, uh, Makes it me wish I was still playing, Sam, I said. To which Sam replies, Age, Anno Domini. <laughs> <laughs> it catches up with all of us. <laughs> no, I've never heard anyone refer to age or time <laughs> yeah. as Anno Domini. <laughs> I do, is that what it means? I, I, I thought it meant it's kind after, of... It means a new bit, yeah. No, exactly I think he's got a... A vague term that he thinks the passage of time means. How many Latin? How many Latin phrases about time that can there be? This is clearly entirely appropriate. Age BC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, they have a chat about. Um, Sam was referring to the spot of bother I had some months earlier when I've been under suspicion and even for a week under arrest for murder. And then next to that, he's put an asterisk. You go down to the bottom of the page. There's an asterisk saying. Um, this story is told in Striker by Steve Bruce. <laughs> the thought that there is anyone in the world reading Sweeper with no prior knowledge that there was another book. Bloody hell. <laughs> How many people do you reckon had to drop out here and go, go I've got to go imagine, back on eBay again. Imagine if in, like, in the Harry Potter books, every time it referred back, <laughs> this was told in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Right, so they have a talk about time, and then what happens? To cut a long story short, well, we, we should, we should establish uh, that um, Sam. We get a little bit of Sam's backstory here. So he's the club janitor, oh, yeah. and uh, he's the janitor and the groundsman. He's oh, clearly, sorry, he's the janitor. Uh, uh, he's the janitor. Sorry. What's he doing out on the pitch? He's cleaning the bogs. I think he's got. Uh, I think. It, I think the pitch is his dominion. I don't think that's too unthinkable that someone would be a janitor. I'm just going to tell you now, Scott. If that's the kind of issue you have. <laughs> yeah. You're really not going to be able to enjoy the whole book because yeah. that's the least of your problems. Yeah. Although, ironically, that is a sort of a Barnes-esque forensic analysis. Like, this could be in the middle of a gun battle and Steve Barnes would be thinking, what was the janitor doing on the pitch? <laughs> so um, Sam says to Steve Barnes, I started here when I was 15, straight from school, and now I'm 65. You don't need a calculator to work that out. At which point Steve says... I did a quick sum. <laughs> 50 years. You've had a good spell, Sam. So the, the cogs are ticking as, uh, as, as regularly as ever. So this guy's been here for 50 years uh, at the club and he's on the verge of retirement. Uh, he was nearly fired along with a load of other club staff 
uh, a few m- months beforehand. Um, but he's nearing the end. Just of so tenure. you know, if you think that is a point that you need to remember, it's absolutely needless. No, there is no need for there to have been almost a cull of Sam's job. It never comes up again. Right. It has nothing to do with anything. But it's a lovely little insight, and not the first and not the last, into <laughs> uh, just the, the, the workings of a football club. The fact that, uh, who was it who was going to fire Sam prematurely before his retirement? The new men in suits. Who saved his job? <laughs> the lovely chairman, Sir Lawrence, an astute and successful businessman <laughs> with a heart. <laughs> So, and that's the conflict at the heart of any football club. By the way, that is, isn't Ivo describing Sir Lawrence. That is the exact word Steve Barnes <laughs> uses. <laughs> so then Steve Barnes walks down the tunnel. As I strode down the passage to the main reception room, he hears a sound. At first he thinks he's door banging as Sam closed it. But it was accompanied by a cry. He goes back out. Old Sam is lying down. He's clearly in distress. He's having a convulsion. Now... This is where I think Steve Barnes is kind of brushed over, but there's, there's an argument he could be charged for manslaughter. <laughs> because what Steve Barnes decides is that even though he says here I've, he has little first aid training, he, Sam is clearly having an epileptic fit. So he takes him into the reception. The receptionist says, I'll ring an ambulance. Steve Barnes says, no, don't do that. He's having an epileptic fit. We'll just be kind of wasting their time. So, so, so Steve Barnes says... Has- self-diagnosed him he self-diagnosed him as having an epileptic fit and he specifically said the the just fantastic sentence people who suffer from epilepsy get fed up of waking up in hospital (laughs) which I don't know I've never had epilepsy I can imagine that might be a problem for some people but I'll tell you who also gets really fed up people who don't have epilepsy not being taken to hospital (laughs) when they're visibly dying or something else (laughs) I think no harm in a bit of caution Steve but it's a busy time of year. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, uh, remembering his old first aid training, he unfastens uh, Sam's buttons on the shirt front. There's a tattoo on his upper arm of some kind of flag. Oh, dear. Yeah. No, that went down. But he says, I wasn't interested in tattoos. All I want to do is help him breathe easier. Hasn't called an ambulance by this point. <laughs> so then, basically, he dies. Old Sam. Old Sam's yeah. dead. Old Sam. Old Sam's dead. So close I was not expecting that. So close to retirement. A real series of twists for old Sam. Nearly gets fired, keeps his job, then dies. It's <laughs> There's it's... a bit also here where, basically, Steve Barnes begins imploring the receptionist, ring an ambulance, I said between breaths. Tell them it's an emergency. Steve, mate, it was an emergency five minutes ago when you were worrying about NHS bed space. <laughs> well, he, he calls for the ambulance immediately after trying to give Sam the kiss of life, which presumably is Steve's, like, you know, emergency. That'll work. And it's when Steve is unable to save him himself that it times some trained medical professionals. So the, he's still alive at this point. The ambulance arrives in less than 10 minutes. So they leave the stadium, Sam in the ambulance. How <laughs> does Steve leave? Uh, Steve, Steve uh, luckily has a vehicle of his own on hand to follow the ambulance. Oh, here we go. And dare I say, it's actually faster than your, your average bog-standard ambulance. <laughs> it's not other than an XJ8 3.2 sports version V-Reg. Uh, as I drove fast in the infirmary, following the ambulance as it cut a sway through the traffic, I wasn't thinking of power-assisted steering and speed-sensitive variable ratios. <laughs> I was considering how life can be sweet one minute, and suddenly, without warning, we are dead. <laughs> It's quite clear that he's thinking both of those things. <laughs> sure, he is musing on mortality, but he's still thinking, I'll tell you what I do like while I'm alive, this lovely parasitic steering. <laughs> it's so weird. We it get... gets weirder, weirder as uh, Steve names the department of the hospital that they arrive at. A real sort of digression from basic facts, which I don't think was needed for any sort of legal reason, when he says that they arrived at E&A, emergency and accidents. <laughs> 
But you know how you know how he slightly twisted the place names. I like to think he's done it with everything. Yeah, it's good. I went to buy a CD from MH3. It's like it's set in a world where we've missed the first book, which is Steve Bruce has gone back in time, broken a twig, and then moved forward. The thought that a previous football novelist got sued by A and E for referring to Steve's Steve's wife, Doctor. The famously litigious NHS. (laughs) Or HNS. (laughs) So, we get to the end of the chapter. Sam's been pronounced dead on arrival. There's a bit of complaining about NHS red tape. Yeah, and also he's he's slightly annoyed. And there's not, what I would say to his credit, there's not too much ego uh, in the Steve Barnes slash Steve Bruce world, but he is annoyed that of all the young doctors in Lettersford, I had to get the one who didn't know about me. So, <laughs> oh, because he, ego between these books. He's just trying to get in and out of the same quickly, and this is this slightly excruciating conversation where uh, Steve says, I was down at the stadium, and the guy says to him, you work there? In what capacity? And Steve's just thinking, oh, dear, someone's going to have to tell this young doctor that I'm the manager of Bloody Letters for Time. Please. Um, so how did Sam die? What was, what was the cause of death? Well, we'll get to this. Okay. okay. So this is... By the way, each chapter ends with a huge cliffhanger. Right. Steve Bruce, I've never known someone more petrified that you're going to put the book down. <laughs> Apart from perhaps Dan Brown. <laughs> but he, he ends on a huge cliffhanger, and if he doesn't have one, he'll replace it instead with a paragraph which describes some perils from the next chapter. Yeah, lovely. So if he hasn't got a cliffhanger, he'll go, little did I know, in just half an hour, I'd be hanging from my feet in a torture <laughs> dungeon. Very much what I would describe as the shipwrecked Battle of the Islands mode of storytelling. Just... Just constantly packed with trailers of events you never get to see. <laughs> Shall we read the uh, the final bit? Oh, do you want to be Steve Barnes or do you want to be the nurse? Uh, I'll be... Uh, which would you rather be, Josh? I'll be Steve Barnes. I'll go for oh, my side. Well, and what, what the actor, I'm sure Josh will fulfil this role, but you've really got to capture Steve Barnes' impatience at being told really quite interesting and important medical detail. Yeah. I sighed. The last thing I needed right now was a complication in my life. Another complication, that is. Being manager of a soccer club is difficult enough. I don't think he was an epileptic. It looked like a fit to me. I think it was an insulin coma. I checked my wristwatch, anxious to be on my way. (laughs) And I don't think it was self-administered. Look, son, I've been very patient. I've been on duty almost non-stop for more than 48 hours, and my judgement may be impaired. Give it to me in plain English. Right. In plain English, I think the old man was murdered. Chapter two. Chapter. Oh, lovely. <laughs> such a weird conversation. <laughs> so the doctor's saying that he was he was killed by excess insulin. Excess yes. Insulin. Is he a diabetic? Do we know yet? I don't know if diabetes is mentioned. I don't think diabetes is mentioned once. Another, another thing a, Steve couldn't get past even, the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> there is a mention of a uh, of a player called Larry Babbitt, but <laughs> <laughs> um, by DTs. <laughs> <laughs> So, there's a murder. We don't know. It's been done with excess insulin. Any questions before chapter two? I mean, so many, but let's crack on. Let's keep going. Okay. We start chapter two with the music on the game against Burnwick that's coming up. Oh, God. Now, it's called Sweeper. You might have noticed there's already a janitor. Yeah. That's one use of Sweeper. However, interestingly, for the game against Burnwick, Steve Barnes is employing a new defensive system. Oh, hello. Hello. Free up front? (laughs) (laughs) get a holding midfielder but wing back's bombing on (laughs) any advance the next book's called False Night (laughs) so do you want to take us to the start of chapter 2 yes so as I say they're in a um, promotion battle from uh, what was then the first division now the championship and they've got a big game coming up on the Tuesday against Burnwick who are not sort of hugely strong or intimidating opposition, but it's a big game tactically because he's desperate to bed in this sweeper system before the game. Um, uh, the manager of Burnwick is a, a someone called Peter Penrice, who played with uh, Steve Barnes at Mulcaster United. 
What's so annoying about reading and researching these books and having slightly too much time on your hands is you become obsessed with leaving no stone unturned as to yeah. working out who these people are. And I wasn't able to be fully sure of who Peter Penrice no, was. No, I Or find who Burnwick who, are, really. I think Burnwick are Burnley. But, but. Peter Penrice is, is both, as a player and a manager, not as successful as Steve Barnes. That's yeah, very clear. Right. <laughs> However, they are mates. Yeah. Though, dis- despite them being mates, he refers to him throughout the book always as Peter Penrice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They'll say to his wife, I'm going to meet Peter Penrice. <laughs> There's a bit where he goes, I, I took a seat and I sat and waited. I thought, from here I'll be able to see Peter Penrose yeah. arrive. <laughs> Stop calling him Peter Penrose, it's sending me mad. Yeah. How are you going to go and meet Peter Penrose? Oh, I'll tell you how I'm going to go. I'm going to go in the XJ 3.2 sports version B Reg. <laughs> so, he's taking this training session. He decides he's going to play one defender behind the three. So, he plays this player called Jacko. Full name, François-Auguste Jacquemin. French national, but of African extraction. Don't ask me which country his parents came from. I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> Barnsley. Barnsley. Uh, well, geography never was my strongest subject at school. And even if I had learned it at school, the name of the country had probably changed by now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's a real shame. But it's such a I funny thing. case of two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> Such a funny thing to imagine a sort of middle-aged football manager getting annoyed about that, a, that another French-speaking African nation has changed its name. Just as I'd learned yeah, it. Bloody hell. Bruce Grobelas from Rhodesia. What? Not anymore? <laughs> you can call it the Democratic Republic of the Congo all you want, mate. But, uh, you don't get me to change my way. No, he's got a new assistant, um, Jock Durham. He seems to imply um, that uh, he was his number two at the previous club, Threshfield, and when he quit that post, Jock agreed to come with me to Leddersford. Slightly writing out the previous <laughs> book in which Steve Barnes had been framed for murder by his own assistant. <laughs> <laughs> a man who now seemingly never had the job. I don't know whether this is a bit of like characterisation in that Steve Barnes is so angry about uh, the he guy who framed him for murder. He's decided to write him out of his own autobiography. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a scene in the film of this where Steve goes to visit Carberry in prison and through the glass shows him a draft of Sweeper <laughs> in which he isn't even mentioned at all, just to taunt him. <laughs> that, so that's training. There's no real plot to that. It's just a, a bubbling kind of feeling that he's going to employ this sweeper system that he needs to work on at all times. And there's other little sort of things about defence. There's his preference for man-marking over zonal marking. Uh, He says also that he doesn't want to see any short-tugging from his defenders, at least not in anybody under the age of 30. Again, whatever that means. (laughs) Once you get to 30, you can tug all the shorts you like. No, the thing is with some of this, like, it's it would be quite interesting if this was like managerial insight, but it's all it's, so obvious and cliched that it's, I like, it's not find interesting. It astonishing that Steve Bruce is a football manager. Still, because still because his training regime, he at one point he's teaching them to not slide tackle too much, and you're thinking, surely by now that isn't like a tip. Mm. <laughs> like you've been the manager for a year. These guys have been playing football for 20 years. How do they not know this stuff? Well, because the logic for the slide tackle is then, you know, when you get the ball, it's easier to start the next move if you're on your feet. Yeah. I thought of some, like, 31-year-old new signing being like, oh, brilliant, thanks for that <laughs> revolutionary insight, Steve. I've just been God, sat here yeah. on my arse every yeah. time I win the ball back. <laughs> There's this real weird bit. Now, I'm quite obsessed with when... So if it was all Leddersford Town, Mulcaster, Burnwick... I'd be fine. But what confuses me is occasionally the real world will just move on in. So there's this bit where he's talking about defenders. So he says, the joke is, I never crossed the halfway line. Other defenders have become wingbacks. Think of Dennis Irwin or Lee Dixon at Arsenal. And you're just going, when I think of Dennis Irwin, I think he played for Manchester United with you, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) In an alternate reality. (laughs) Don't name a player that's implicitly related to you like you're either in the world of Dennis Irwin or you're in the world of Jacko yeah Yeah. the thought of Dennis Irwin going up for a corner saying to Steve you just stay back in your inner half Steve and Steve's just thinking I'm going to write about this one day (laughs) I wonder if do you remember playing Pro Evo in the 90s and the Dutch team 
they obviously couldn't get the license for the names. Yeah. So they all had names like like you know Dutch Orange, and it was like not Dennis Burkamp. It was like you know Dennis Borkamp. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Dennis Owen was happy to be licensed, but everyone else <laughs> has just been like, no, you got to change my name. Dennis Owen's phone rings at like midnight, and yeah. it's Steve Bruce going. I'm writing a new soccer book. <laughs> <laughs> Sidling up to Lee Dixon at a PFA award. <laughs> Lee, um, would you be right for me to use your name to explain wingbacks in a fictionalised detective story set in a different reality of Yorkshire? Yeah, I, I will mention the attacking, yeah. I'll, I'll you can push forward. <laughs> so then what happens over? So midway through training, his, uh, his loyal and faithful uh, PA, Julie... Um, She's back. Touch. She rings him on his mobile phone, which, let's we forget, is a necessary instrument of modern business. <laughs> if only, if only you knew what life is like now in 2018, Steve. It'd blow your mind. Is he? Um, is he still drinking the tea from book one? Actually, he was obsessed with chamomile tea in book one. Him trying to get was, into tea, yeah. but that is, I, I don't think that is no, up at all. I'm afraid. No, uh, that is off the booze. Yeah. Now, Julie comes in. They, uh, the police, want to talk to Steve. Mm. He's. Very reluctant to talk to them. He doesn't want to get involved. That's fair to say. Yeah, he doesn't want to be bothered anymore. They want him to identify the body, which seems unlikely. Uh, the press onto the story already. Yeah. Harry Pickles of the Leddesford Inquirer. <laughs> is back. Why do they want him to like, check out the body? He brought the guy to the hospital. I know, it's very weird that they want him to identify the body, even though he doesn't know the guy. Mm. He goes back to training. And then he decides to call Harry Pickles. From the Leddesford Inquirer, the local rag, as he, of course he calls Harry. it. Again, characterisation. Harry Pickles. Like Harry. wearing a cap with press, like a press card tucked into his top hat. Bit interesting uh, bit of trivia. Uh, actually, Barney Roney refused to let his name be licensed. Yes. <laughs> so he tells uh, he tells Harry what had happened the previous evening, uh, and he makes a kind of. Statement. When he does any of these kind of statements or anything, you get the feeling he's got, ab- once again, like the first book, at no point is he sad or affected by the fact he's seen a man die. Yeah, and is in some way responsible. In, yeah. In book one. I'd be thinking, should I <coughs> not have assumed, despite a lack of first aid training, that he was having an epileptic fit, therefore meaning that he's now dead? Yeah. That would be mainly... Might be playing on my mind slightly. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Barnes is all about the sweeper system. And then the police want Steve to identify the body because there's no relatives to Sam. And he says, well, there might, he must be on the payroll. And then she said, there's no file to prove it. It's all a bit of a mystery. Very strange. It's as if Sam didn't even exist. Oh, you're Julie kidding said. me. Almost I as if he never joke. was. Chapter three. Oh, hello. <laughs> Now, chapter three starts with another running thing. We've got the sweeper system. We've got the uh, ongoing interest in Sam's murder. There's also another th- strand, which is, Ivo? Uh, it, is, are you talking about the constant threat of Steve Bruce getting a cold? That is it, yes. <laughs> he can feel a cold coming on for pretty much the entirety of the book. <laughs> and again, that's the source of a huge amount of frustration. How would you describe a cold? Um, what's, what's the more extreme version of a cold? Flu. Yeah, what... Would you call it flu, Michael? Yeah, I call it flu. Lurgy. No, uh, flu. Not Steve Barnes. Steve Barnes refers to it throughout as influenza. <laughs> I can't play soccer this afternoon. I've got influenza, I'm afraid. <laughs> so he's gone to the uh, he's gone to the police station uh, and he's encountered a young, blonde, pretty, gentle, and feminine police officer who will no doubt become tougher with experience. <laughs> No, but can I just say, none of that was Ivo. Yeah. <laughs> that last bit did sound like Ivo was the editorialising. Yeah, so he meets a police officer, but I've imagined in my head what, what, what she'd be like based on, based on my favourite police officers in my life. So she's called Christine. How does he find out she's called Christine with the uh, following? Shall we do the, uh, the um, yes. dialogue here? Jesus. Shall we go from, uh, my name's Steve. Yes, I know. Are you a supporter? I get crowd control duties like all the others. I'm Christine. Chris for short. No, Christine. <laughs> I've never asked someone called Christine or Christine. Why is that bit in the book? <laughs> Hi, my name's Jackie. Jack, no Jackie. 
That is clearly. How are you, you've got a short one today. How often have you said, Michael. I'm Michael? Mike. No one has ever asked me that question. And he, what he's done is he's masculinized her nickname. Like, if someone said, What's your name? And I went, Michael. And they went, Michaela. <laughs> so, well, no, no on both counts. <laughs> that screams of him having watched like some classic like Bogart and Bacall film noir with yeah. like, some Raymond Chandler dialogue that just crackles <laughs> yeah. with sexual yeah. tension. It's like, you know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put yeah. your lips together and blow. It's like, Christina? Chris, no. <laughs> so then they're, they're quite a weird scene, which we... Do we need to go into this scene? Have you got much? Basically, they're looking at the body. Christine's not hugely enjoying it. There's this um, sort of weirdly jaunty a guy who works in the morgue who enjoys the. He's uh, possibly the best drawn character of the thing. Yeah, I, I you know, and you do see that occasionally. The, the guy that works in the morgue, okay, who's only in one scene. If you were to say, if I was an actor who was offered every role in the Steve Barnes books I'd say I'll play the guy in the morgue because there's more to get your teeth into be a lovely cameo he's like he's basically someone who's he enjoys the fact that he's okay with the dead bodies but they're not and he enjoys almost taunting the uh, Christine Chris no Christine enjoys taunting her because she's struggling with it she's quite new to the force at one point uh, when he sees Steve looking at the smaller drawers in the room he says that's where we put the kids so it's it's not a a pleasant person But, but there's a guy in this. He's so bit of, dark. Bit of colour. It's a bit of you know, yeah, <laughs> colour to the story. And you can see why Christine or Chris is is, is not hugely enjoying herself. There's so a, there's one lovely bit where he gets a very quick bit of revenge on the guy because he he comments on the irony that the guy works in a mortuary despite smoking, and he says, "How do you know I smoke heavily?" "Your hands," I replied. He stared at the fingers of his right hand, stained brown with smoke and nicotine. Normally I wouldn't say anything, but I didn't like the way he was trying to upset Christine. So he's used his sort of proto-Sherlock ability <laughs> yeah. to read things, to, to mock the guy for his ironically tr- dangerous lifestyle. Um, now, then the pathologist comes in and um, he says, uh, you saw Milton have a fit? Yes. You thought it was epilepsy. Now, if you were worried that Steve Bruce, Steve Barnes, sorry, was being a bit laissez-faire at the time, just to hammer it home, that's what it seemed like to me. Though I don't know very much about epilepsy or medical matters. Call an ambulance! <laughs> what are you doing? If anything, he's incriminating himself with that yeah. sentence. Also, um, you may have noticed uh, Josh snuck in uh, Sam's surname there. Milton. Sam Milton. Which is introduced with no... Uh, th- th- there's no announcement of... No, uh, it just starts it, happening. Yeah. Okay. just starts being called Sam Milton. Now... Um, there's a uh, plot point here uh, that um, I think it's on the next. He page. says he was due to retire very, very soon. He was 65. Then um, the pathologist uh, says actually he's about 80. Mm. He also adds that um, he then sees the body and um, listen up. But um, it's a flag, some kind of banner. Christine says, looking at the tattoo. I was puzzled. I thought the tattoo was on the other arm. Shows how wrong you can be, especially when the mind is fuddled by influenza. <laughs> Who amongst us hasn't, hasn't got a blocked nose and started to see tattoos? Oh, by the way, another plot point, the guy has slav cheekbones. Yeah. So he's from Eastern Europe, according, Southeastern Europe, according to Duck and Field. Right. Yeah, who's, who's the other guy in the mortuary? Yes. So the guy's been... Uh, he's I mean, been... That's, that's a hell of a call on an 80-year-old body to go... Slavic oh, cheekbones. Eastern European cheekbones. Yeah. On an 80 yeah. year old. Oh, but man. you're not listening yeah. to Slavic cheekbones, Michael. They're, 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 <laughs> they're, they're, they're the last things yeah. to go. <laughs> you show me a skeleton and I'd go. <laughs> um, you know the pancreas. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. aware of it. Steve Barnes isn't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> man, had cancer. Cancer of the pancreas. Pancreas, I asked. I was out of my depth and I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> So, at this point... The guy's been given far too much uh, insulin, so he's essentially been poisoned, and we've had this really sort of clanging plot point that uh, the the influenza-fuddled Barnes has noticed that the tattoo isn't maybe on the right side of the body. I like to think, because the influenza really has no other bearing, that the whole influenza riff throughout the book that's quite long is put there purely to hide the flag changing. Yes, 
<laughs> to excuse the fact that he yeah did. to excuse I mean, the was... fact that he didn't go why is the flag on the different arm yeah, yeah. so uh, that's the end of chapter two we've got the body uh, he's mentioned again that we've got the game against Burnwick coming up he also but... mentions that Susan suggested they go oh sorry can we just stop they they're talking about the Christmas shopping now Steve Barnes a football man he's been in football thirty years. Susan had suggested we go away for Christmas, but that was impossible. How is Susan, the wife of a man who's been a footballer since he was 16, still unaware <laughs> She's st- that he'd be busy over the Christmas period? <laughs> you silly bin. But what? How is Susan? That Susan would never make that mistake. He's just trying to stitch her up, isn't he? If I was married to Lenny Henry for 30 years, I wouldn't say, shall we go on holiday during Red Nose Day? <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> <laughs> Great example. Can I just say, I wouldn't have been able to think of an example <laughs> of another person attached very specifically to that time of year. I love that that was your go-to. <laughs> well, we might as well go away, Lenny, because we can stay in any premiere yeah, in you yeah, want. Right, sorry. Uh, so this is a classic one of those chapters where he hasn't got a cliffhanger. So he ends with just the words, soon my own life would be in grave danger. Chapter four. Well, it starts with a lovely sort of cultural rumination. Again, as if to follow Steve's own rule that the more exciting the end to the previous chapter, the more boring the start to the next chapter must be. (laughs) The ultimate zoom out. So we're we're talking about the Leddesford Town Hall built in the Italian style. Not that he would have known. Architecture, like much else, is a closed book to me. (laughs) Maybe when I'm too old for active participation in a beautiful game. Well, maybe just maybe I'll take up other interests. Not yet, though. Architecture can wait. (laughs) And I'll be following Steve Bruce's own career for the next 20 years to see if at any point he gets into architecture. If if you see Steve Bruce sacked, within weeks you'll you'll see him up York Minster. (laughs) Staring at the spine. So he's essentially uh, trying to track down the mysterious Sam Milton's paperwork, uh, which is very difficult. Um, he can't he can't get it through the bank because he says no good approaching a bank for information. They find it hard just telling you about your own balance. <laughs> so he doesn't really sort of trust. Different the, times to now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he goes to the library uh, to check the electoral rolls. Mm-hmm. Right. But he we don't. He needs an address essentially. Yeah, we don't keep them. The the librarian told me he was a young man, not physically strong. Quite weedy, in fact. Don't laugh. Is he talking to the reader there? Yeah. That's so weird. It's like, he's just broken the fourth wall, was this? Like, just bullying people we've never met. Yeah. If I just said he was a young man, not physically strong, quite weedy, in fact, would you have thought, I'm going to laugh, but I shouldn't? (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that Steve Bruce Barnes does, because it's so badly written it does make you question the whole form of a novel yeah. Yeah, yeah. as an art form when it's told in this almost slightly sort of house of cards sort of nod and a wink slightly sort of you know oi oi puny librarian Don't ask <laughs> you're thinking why is he doing this something has impelled him to carry on call it an obligation call it a hunch Lovely. i.e. Steve Bruce has thought of no reason why Steve Barnes would continue <laughs> investigating this. Apart from the fact that the blood is sorted on his own hands. So he goes to Charlesworth Street, which uh, he is instructed to do um, by the guy in the library, the, the weakling at the library. Don't, don't laugh, Michael. Um, <laughs> he goes to Charlesworth Street, um, which I think is, is one of the less affluent areas of Leddesford. This. So they've got three houses and one was boarded up. I uh, describe this as the most breathtaking scene it's an absolutely wonderful scene this and the scene where he meets Malik for the first time are up there as my two favourite Steve Bruce scenes apart from the one where he in the first book strips naked to dry off on the moors (laughs) (laughs) that's a lovely thing yeah which sadly isn't revisited in this one so um, the, the guy apparently lived at number 47. He can't get into number 47. There's no answer when he knocks at the door. Because uh, the guy's dead. Because the guy's dead and there's no one else there. But uh, his efforts do attract attention at number 49. Now, who do you think lives at number 49 in this rundown street in Lennisford? Harry Pickles. It's not, it's not <laughs> Harry. A good it's not Harry Pickles. Harry Pickles is earning, mate. <laughs> no, but Pickles, I'll tell you what, Pickles might, might well be sniffing around... <laughs> You know, at these parts. If he was sniffing around, he would smell um, what this area smells of, which is um, 
The Tripe Factory. Yeah. <laughs> the Tripe Factory? <laughs> yeah. Is there such a thing? Yeah. I don't I mean, we're, not, we're not talking about Steve Bruce's publishing house. <laughs> <laughs> the Lendersburg Training Ground. <laughs> yeah, look. Charles Street had three houses and one of those was boarded up. There was a strong smell of something obnoxious. I found the sort of the smell. It was the Tripe Factory. Close to the, <laughs> the railway viaduct. The Tripe Factory. That's what you'd say if someone lied to you. Go, can I smell the Tripe Factory? <laughs> so, so, next door to... I, it took me a long time into the scene to realise what these women did for a living. Yes. What's funny is you don't realise immediately, but it's not clear exactly when Steve realises either. So they're, they're, they're escorts, essentially, they're, and they're... They're, they're hookers. Yeah, they're, they're, they're two they're prostitutes. Hookers. So uh, his efforts knocking on the door attach the attention of number 49. He's dead. A woman who looked as if she'd been roused from her sleep. Hair in curlers, fag in mouth. Not very attractive. Not very attractive at all. <laughs> Uh, so he goes in to talk to this woman who is not very attractive at all so they're sort of dancing around the issue a little bit it's not clear also on whether she knows who he is uh, yeah. she asks do I know you he says there was no way I was going to introduce myself imagine what some of the tabloids would make out of such a meeting and particularly since Harry Pickles lives next door <laughs> he wants to be careful so um, she offers him a cigarette uh, he says, no, I'm, I'm coming down with the flu. She says, that's fine, you want to keep away from me? And he says, that would be no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, really, he's really ramming home his lack of interest. Now, in this is where, it, I, I still at this point, I hadn't worked out what she does. This is when I realise, is when the second character is introduced. It must get a bit lonely down here. Only two houses. Oh, a share. Is he out at work? It's a she, and the lazy bitch is still in bed. Maybe she's going down with the flu. A lot are getting it. She does go down a lot, love, but it isn't with flu. <laughs> oh, that's so eggy. Maybe that's the root of the whole flu storyline for 120 pages. For a going down joke on page 40. So then um, she shouts down for Maureen. When Maureen came down, she was certainly younger, but not more desirable. <laughs> I thank my stars... I'm married to an attractive woman and have a good family life. What I would describe as unreconstructed. <laughs> There's something kind of puritanical, but also sexist about him. He's like Gavin Peacock. <laughs> I think he has a fascination with the world of prostitution, much like Alan Partridge does about ladyboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, oh, I just want, I just want to look in. Like, oh, I find it disgusting. But with Maureen, now, the, I'd say of the two books, the greatest kind of flourish or the only time, and it's not good, but the only time when Steve Bruce has shown any kind of creative thought or kind of linguistic kind of aptitude is uh, when he describes Maureen. Uh, at that moment, Maureen came back, holding in her hand a mug of tea. The mug was chipped and had no handle. Maureen wasn't in much better shape herself. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the key information he gets from them is that um, the guy did indeed live next door. He had friends round. They sung songs. And then as Steve walks to drive away, the older one says, Here, Maureen, come and get a shifty of this effing motor car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A shifty? Yeah. I accelerated away at speed. End of chapter. I'd say the start of chapter five is my favourite sentence at the start of any. Uh, yeah, please. Susan was furious. <laughs> um, so then we get back. Uh, Susan's livid because he's meant to be going Christmas shopping. And then he goes into training. And then they're going to do defensive work. There's a moment when I don't think he understands that a metre is not a yard. When he says, we got them started. The area was 30 by 50 yards. Or metres. <laughs> Pick your own favourite. <laughs> I love the idea that Steve Bruce thinks a yard uh, a metre isn't a new measurement but it's a variant term yeah. for yard I, I, I like him setting up his defensive walls on the training ground and everyone's like why are we so far away from yeah. the, the kicker <laughs> <laughs> I keep conceding from set pieces it's really weird oh that was inches wide or should I say centimetres <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh, training them he's focusing on defence as usual uh, he says he can't put too high a premium on defence 
Then, oh, so the, the tip-off he gets given by the two women who live next door um, to Sam Milton are that he, the person he really needs to speak to is um, the man who owns the house. So this is who he's off to meet now. He's looking for uh, Mr. Abdul Malik Chowdhury, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's bored enough. That is quite that's, a composite name. That's close. If, having read the way Steve Bruce writes, you then he arrives in a predominantly Asian area, if you're anything like me, you do tense up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't say what the road smells of, Steve. <laughs> Honestly, I got to this bit and I was like, please don't ruin the whole thing now. Yeah. I'm worried. I'm not yeah. saying in any way Steve Bruce is sexist or racist. I'm saying Steve Barnes has I've... made some pretty horrible <laughs> observations about women. And I don't want his attitudes to continue and to other sensitive areas. <laughs> Imagine if we had to end this review here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, on page arms. 47, the book's kind of ruined. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's no longer funny. <laughs> Turns out he votes for the BPM. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so he, he turns up, he gets invited in, this character Malik comes in, who becomes... A companion to him. Uh, and endears himself early doors to Steve. How do you think he endears himself? Well, I hope it's car related. It is car related, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, I won't do the accent. I'm sure, I'm sure Steve would. <laughs> That's a very good car you have. Jaguar. XJ8. 3.2. Sports version. <laughs> And that's just like we know when Alan Partridge meets um, Dan. Yes, exactly. In the petrol station, when they compare which lynxes they're wearing. Yeah, voodoo (laughs) Java. Well, well smelt. (laughs) They then bond over uh, over sort of domestic issues when uh, Malik's wife and his mother come in to give them their their drinks. Steve stands up trying to be polite, and Malik says, "Sit down. Don't give them ideas. Ideas. Women's liberation." I have the same trouble at home, I said. <laughs> oh, no, he's on his oh. side. I thought he was going to like, lecture him. He does say I said trying to be polite, so he might be doing the kind of thing we've all done in a taxi oh, before. Oh, it's great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Malik serves him vegetarian or meat samosas. Now, I don't know whether that's a typo. <laughs> Or whether in this world they are called samosas. Yes, there's a very outside chance that we may be being the culturally ignorant ones. But if I had to stake my money on it, I'd say it's Steve Bruce taking a wild swing at how to spell samosa. (laughs) Either that or the overprotective lawyer has gone. We don't want to get sued by the samosa company (laughs) here, mate. By Mrs. Patter. Change one syllable, please. I've been trying to ring Uncle Ben all day. Right, so... Um, so he so tells the, him that Sam's died. To which uh, Malik replies... May Allah protect him in the life to come. Amen, I said. <laughs> <laughs> the melting pot. That's lovely. Um, just at this point, I'd, I'd say Malik becomes a companion that's similar to... Uh, do you remember Morgan Freeman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? <laughs> In the next bit, uh, they bond over um, the, the women next door. Uh, so Steve oh, says, the women so next door weird. said they had a friend's call and they sang loud songs. Malik smiled. So you met those tarts at number 49. Were you tempted? Not a bit. Me neither, Malik said, though I noted he blushed heavily as he made the denial. By the way, at this point, the smell of tripe has gone. Do you understand this tripe thing? Is that of consequence that the smell of tripe has gone? No. No, <laughs> don't think so. I don't, I couldn't work out what the tripe thing was about. Yeah. That's what you say when someone's provided some fact in an argument. Okay, the smell of tripe's gone. Don't you <laughs> <laughs> So they get to the house, then these two blokes turn up, and they say, um, we're his friends, you can't go in there. And he says he's dead, and they go, go away for two hours and then return. Uh, which Steve Barnes uh, is not happy with. Um, are you Sam's relatives? Are they reveal that the guy is called Stefan, not Sam. Right. So basically, these guys um, the, the pull par- a gun. Yeah, the chapter ends with him having a, having a gun pulled on him they because he's on insisting him. on being let into the house. Right. What, why they, did he go back again? Because uh, he's trying to work out who this guy is and what's going on. But he's he's going to look around his house for clues. He's gone back yes. with Malik. Because yeah, Malik's going to let him in. Right. Uh, so him and Malik go back right. to let him in. Right. Two guys turn up, they oh, pull a gun right. on him, Yeah. and Steve goes in, and Malik gets to sit in the drag. So, uh, it's cold, Malik said. You may sit in the comfortable Jaguar motor car, the tall man said. I unlocked the door with the remote control. 
Malik got in the back seat. Yeah. He looked both crestfallen and relieved. That isn't an easy mixture of emotions. Try them together sometime. <laughs> <laughs> if you go and study one of uh, Stanislav's acting courses, like the last, gradu- <laughs> the last graduation piece is to do those two emotions and relief. Yeah. You go for your uh, your audition at RADA, um, yeah. and uh, for my monologue, I'd like to do Malik. <laughs> <laughs> what I like is the idea of people uh, on the tube now listening to this podcast I'm trying to do it I'm trying to do it <laughs> people someone sitting across going that guy's missed his stop but he doesn't mind being like <laughs> this episode is brought to you by hotels.com when I went on my last holiday to Cape Town it was amazing My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8am. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.